Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and this is episode two of four on Whiteout Week. It's, it's here. I mean, we can feel it around campus. Took a drive downtown, had to go pick something up down there yesterday. And, and there's a buzz. ESPN starting to set up shop. Uh, and Saturday, full-blown whiteout experiences back here in State College. Auburn visiting. First time this team will take on an SEC opponent in a decade. We'll talk a lot about that matchup and much more. And yes, some of the coaching carousel that's beginning to spin in college football with our good friend Josh Pate. Hopefully you heard his conversation with us in the preseason. Does outstanding work for the late kick uh, with 24-7 Sports and with CBS. And we're happy to have him on for some great perspective, national perspective as well, in just a moment. But, Sean, PSU, Auburn, top 25 matchup. Weather's beautiful. Uh, this is a great scenario uh, setting up here in State College. You say that as it's about to rain this afternoon, but yeah, it's supposed to be supposed to be really nice on Saturday. So looking forward to that. Always when you schedule this game, you look at uh, what kind of impact it can have, you know, on fans tailgating, on recruiting, things like that. And weather obviously um, is not something that Penn State sells for several months out of the year, but this is one of the times when you certainly can do it. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to the game. I'm dressed for Josh Pate. Uh, if you watch him on Late Kick, you know the white T-shirt, uh, certainly a staple of his uh, repertoire. He's coming up this week. We can't wait to see him in person. Um, yeah, he, I know he's really excited. And we're really excited to have him. Yeah, ESPN's not the only show in town. He's making the trip. He was at the Iowa-Iowa State game last week. That was a top 10 showdown uh, in which the Hawkeyes won. If you missed it, last episode, our first of the week, which is going to drop on Mondays during game weeks, featured Nathan King, who covers the Auburn Tigers for 24-7 sports. A lot from him on what these Tigers are doing in all three phases of the game. Uh, a prediction as well from him toward the end on how he sees this game shaping out. Go back, check that one out. But uh, we are here now, and I want to remind everybody that we are also on YouTube. Uh, aside from where you're listening and however you've been listening, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. At Lines 24-7 is the channel. Uh, you can listen to all of our content, but you can also watch it too if that's what you're into. We'll also have guests on uh, like Josh today. So it's a chance to see them uh, in person as well. Sean, it's been a light week in terms of Penn State roster news. There was more of that conversation coming off of game one, position battles left unresolved and uh, this and that. This time around, one you know clarification coming from Franklin, uh, officially naming Eric Wilson the starting left guard for Penn State on Tuesday. No surprise there. We saw him you know, take over for Anthony Wigan early in the Wisconsin matchup and handle that job all the way through. And he was in the starting lineup last Saturday against Ball State and stayed there until that game was already out of hand and out of question. We saw Bryce Eppner check in for a bit. Now, Franklin noted that there will be some rotation still involved at left guard. We'll see what that looks like. But Eric Wilson, he says, is the starter. And for a guy who didn't get to campus until May and didn't play football last year because there was no football at Harvard last year. It's a really cool story for him to crack through and become a first teamer here against Auburn, who he was committed to last November. 
And, and for him to make that leap so quickly is is pretty impressive because, as you mentioned, did not play last year, uh, was did not take part in, uh, I guess the Ivy League didn't take part in the spring season either. Um, so that's certainly a long time to, to, to be laid off of, of football. Came in, took the job from Anthony Wigan. Wigan ended up on a milk carton last weekend for the most part uh, and, and really just rolled with it. You could see at the end, they, they did put in Bryce Efner, but then they changed some things around put Eric Wilson back in, which tells me they want to get him around as many combinations as they can possibly have, including Drew Juice Scruggs beside him snapping the football. So it'd be interesting to see if anything comes from that in the long run. But as you mentioned, uh, or as we talked about before, Wisconsin, we're, we're expecting tighter rotations at a number of positions and left guard. We thought this battle might rage into late September. Apparently not. This this thing seems like it's Eric Wilson's. James Franklin said that it's Eric Wilson's. Um, I don't see Efner wrestling that job away or anything like that. But uh, just it's one of those things where he's uh, he's done an impressive job so far. He's still got work to do, as we mentioned, a little bit behind those other four offensive linemen. But uh, they took took a step forward against uh, a Ball State over the weekend. But Auburn's going to be a different animal. You know, it's going to as 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 we had uh, our guest on from from Auburn Undercover the other day. He said maybe the the weak part of this defense is that front four, but it's still an SEC front four. So you're going to have to deal with uh, a lot of uh, movement, a lot of uh, pressure, a lot of things like that. So Eric Wilson, welcome to the Big Ten. You get Wisconsin right off the bat. Uh, you win a job, and then you get Auburn two weeks later. So that's uh, it's quite a uh, jump up. Not not going to rag on Harvard here. You know, Harvard's got a really good offensive line. Spencer Rollin, of course, is. Uh, um, a first-team All Ivy League guy, uh, according to Phil Steele, in the preseason as well. But that's quite a jump to make. Yeah, you're not going to knock on Harvard's offensive line. Neither is Phil Trattwine. Neither is James Franklin because they've gone there back-to-back years now. Um, and and to your point, this is an SEC defensive line. They have a, a solid blue chip ratio on that roster that extends to the defensive front. And this is a Penn State team that didn't pummel Ball State up front last week. We talked about on the post-game show. We talked about that a bit on Monday. Weren't able to get a lot going on the ground in between the tackles. Kane, Kevon Lee did their best work bouncing outside. Um, that's something that if you show up the same way against Auburn, it, it's a concern for you and being able to establish yourself on the ground, setting some things up for you downfield. Um, so Eric Wilson in the starting lineup and really beyond that, Sean, nothing huge coming out of that press conference. We're going to talk about the, the non-answer that got a lot of attention in just a little while with Josh Pate in terms of that USC job opening and how James Franklin may or may not factor in. But sticking on the transfer subject briefly here, Sean, Eric Wilson is one of three transfer additions now starting for Penn State in the trenches. You've got Arnold Ebicady at defensive end, Derek Tangelo at defensive tackle. They were both game one starters. Wilson's there now. You've got A.J. Litton uh, contributing on special teams. We've already seen that. We've seen John Dixon play some on defense. We've seen Winston Eubanks, who's a walk-on transfer, play some at wide receiver, even on the road at Wisconsin. So three contributors, three transfer starters, John Levitt waiting in the wings. We don't know what's up there at the running back position with the Baylor transfer, but that's a lot. We knew Penn State made an offseason splash and through two weeks, just eight quarters of football, it's very apparent that it was necessary. Yeah, and it's patching up holes and then it's growing back stronger at some sport, some spots. Look at Ebicady, uh, what he's brought to the table over the first two weeks. Look at Tangelo, um, you know, I, putting up similar stats to what Antonio Shelton did last year, but I think he's freeing up PJ Mustafer beside him, those defensive ends, a little bit better playing. Uh, you know, I, I think that unit as a whole, playing together a little bit more than they did last year. So that's impressive to see Tangelo uh, work his way into that. Um, James Franklin was asked about how Arnold Ebicati is fitting in. Uh, those two guys up front, I mean, we, we said it in the preseason, they seem to be culture fits, but they seem to have really taken off and taken the next step there. So 
Uh, good returns. I mean, you're not going to hit on every transfer you you get. You mentioned John Lovett has yet to suit up uh, for Penn State, so that's one that you know hasn't hasn't really come to fruition yet. Um, but to get those guys in the game, we knew John Dixon wasn't going to be a starter this year. We knew AJ Litton coming in kind of behind the eight ball in August um, would take a while to get in there. But the, the the returns so far, and and that's exactly what you're looking for in the transfer portal. The returns so far have been excellent. And the returns to this point going into the season had been so scarce in a, in an era defined by all these high profile transfers among power five teams and college football playoff contenders, having quarterbacks who started their career elsewhere. Penn state's been, it's been Jordan Stout. It's been Weston Carr. They, they flirted with bringing George Campbell. It looked like that might happen, but to this point, they took a, a dive in the deep end here and it's paid off for them. And, and I have to imagine this approach is going to be here to say, by the way, you're already seeing the NCAA uh, begin to adjust on their outlook for the, the roster and, and the 2020 season and what happened there. And with the eligibility, it's going to have a domino effect in the transfer market in the recruiting classes for years to come. Very, very necessary legislation there that the NCAA is getting ready to do. Basically, they're going to let you backfill those those transfer spots that you lose with extra spots in your recruiting class. And that's that's necessary. I mean, they, they lump them all together right now. So you get a certain number under the hard cap and the initial counters and things like that. Um, but this this will give them a little bit more wiggle room. It will help transfers find a spot, I think, and, and will help those recruits. Part of the the, the collateral damage right now is is these schools have gone and taken so many transfers, which cuts down on the number of recruits you can take. So that's really hurt the high school kids for, through no fault of their own. A lot of schools would rather take a guy that's ready to play. You look at what what was it, Texas State that didn't sign a high school prospect last year, just signed all transfers. And I, I don't know how that's working out for them right now, but <laughs> those guys are certainly ready to come in and make a difference. By the way, Weston Carr leading the German league in receiving uh, right now. I just saw that pop up on my Instagram this morning. So good for Weston Carr. He was always nice to us. He, he joined us on the podcast before he uh, enrolled at Penn State. Uh, didn't work out here for him as well as he thought it was, but he's doing things in Germany right now. Why don't you and Mrs. Fitz take a trip over to Frankfurt, get away for a little while, watch some German football? It sounds like a story that needs to be uh, investigated. I'll, I'll let the uh, the bosses at twenty four seven and CBS know. I'm up for it, man. Let's let's do it. It's almost Oktoberfest, so I'm I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, it's time to get going with Josh Pate, who we're really excited to bring back on to the Lions twenty four seven podcast. Hopefully, you caught him back in August. We know a little bit more about these Nittany Lions now than we did in August, but still learning more to get perspective on this team, Auburn, the coaching carousel. We bring in Josh Pate. Welcome aboard. Nice to have you on again. I wish my setup didn't look quite as ratchet as it does, but there's there's not a little bar of internet to be had in what is a brand new office right now. So I'm coming to you live from 1939. I'm happy to be with you guys. We're using the standard iPhone setup right now, which is tilted against a water jug, which looks out over the skyline of dreary Nashville, Tennessee. How are you guys doing? Yeah, it's true, no expense, uh, it's, it's true pro. Yes. Hey, yeah. I set you up. I even got my Josh Pate uniform on. I got my white t-shirt. I know you're coming this weekend. You got plenty of white t-shirts. It's like that Big Ten Network commercial with Franklin going through his white suits and you show up in a blue shirt. Come on. <laughs> like a banker in this right now. I feel very, very overdressed. I'm, I apologize profusely for everything about my setup right now. Well, Josh, that, I mean, let's lead off. We, we we love that you're coming up here. I have no idea what your plan is. I know you were you were back in Iowa last week. That was a big buildup to your return there. Iowa State versus Iowa. You saw one of the marquee matchups, and you'll do it again this time around. And I don't know, is, is my understanding correct that this will be your first whiteout experience? I have never been to a Penn State game, period. And so, yes, to all of the above questions, I – 
there was a there was a time in the preseason where we were looking out over the calendar and we knew that there was this elephant in the room, kind of pun intended. We knew Alabama was going to Florida. And I grew up in SEC country, so you naturally default towards those big SEC matchups. But then you start to get whispered to you, you know that Auburn game could be a whiteout. You know that Auburn game could really be the whiteout. And so then you start to get closer to it and you start asking yourself, how do I not go up there? Like, how do I not make that trip? And I, I, I kind of put it up for debate amongst the audience. And there was a lot of like Florida, Alabama argument, but there was never really anyone that overcame the appeal of this matchup and like that setting in general you could take an agnostic college football fan they don't even care about the outcome just march them into that environment i think it would be a memory that lasts a lifetime sean you've been to a bunch of these you've, and and I've, I've been to a few and i'll tell you what i mean sean's a graduate of the university i hadn't been here until i covered the team my first experience in 2017 saquon barkley took the opening stat to the end zone against michigan and set up for a blowout i felt the press box moving a little bit of fear for my life but overall just an appreciation for, yeah, this is legit. And everything I heard about the whiteout is legit. I think you're going to have that same kind of realization early on Saturday night. From, from when this took shape, uh, you know, I was in, I was in college at the time and it just, it's, just kind of spun and I won't say it's spun out of control, but it's so much, so much further advanced than it was back in the start naturally. Um, but to see this thing take on a life of its own and, and go national and it's now, you know, it's, it's a destination. And that's a thing that you could say for recruits. That's a thing you could say for, as you mentioned, fans that might not be a fan of either team uh, to get to this game, to get to this location and see it in person is really special. And I know there are some ridiculous atmospheres in the SEC. Um, this is this is fits right in with it. I mean, and I know that's one thing when you're talking about Auburn coming in and playing against this atmosphere. They've been in it before. They've been to Death Valley. They've been to the swamp. They've been all over the place. Um, but I, I'm not sure what's different. I'm not sure if that's going to help them, hurt them, uh, make them have a sense of they expect or they know what to expect going into it. Um, but I think it's a it's a remarkable kind of subplot when you you prepare for those teams, you prepare for the SEC teams in a different way. Um, I just think it's going to be it's going to be fun to see how they handle this, especially so early in the season after playing the opponents that they have. Yeah, here's another thing. So I remember back in 2017, <clears throat> I went to the Georgia at Notre Dame game and people down south, they were wondering what should we expect up there? Is it going to be overly hostile or, you know, is it a different culture? They were, you know, because Georgia does not travel north. Most of the teams in the south don't travel north to play out of conference very often. And so I, I circled that one. I wanted to be at that one. And I remember when we went in there, I remember the feeling from the time we got on the ground and just interacting with people to the time you actually cover the game and you're interacting with SIDs and everything in between there was a sense of I'm not going to say wanting to prove oneself because Notre Dame has been a brand forever, but there was the understanding that a representative of what is currently the premier conference college football is in here. And we're about to show them that we belong. And so twofold is why I'm so excited this weekend. Number one, because we didn't get to have a whiteout last year. So there's appreciation from the entire sporting landscape of having something yanked from you. And now it's returned. And number two, you have the same situation. You have an SEC representative, maybe not a top dog in that yard, but a very, very quality representative coming into Penn State. And for those reasons, I think it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. I don't have a gauge with which to measure it against other wideouts. Fitch, you do. But I'm telling you, man, I'd be very surprised if Saturday night didn't rank right up there with anything that's ever happened in that place.
Well, you look at the at the history of the whiteout, and it's Michigan or Ohio State. Basically, right. every year going back to 2011 in Alabama, Iowa got one in there. And, you know, you go back and it's Penn State's been through a lot in the last uh, decade and a half, no, no doubt about it. Um, but to throw a different opponent, I think, gives you a little bit of something. Um, you know, you said coming to the season, and I know this is something that this is a video that made its way around Lash pretty quickly. You said have two whiteouts, have the Auburn game, have the Michigan game. They're doing that in a sense. They're doing the student whiteout for the Michigan game. But it, it brings you something different. It, it, it's it's great to have a, a game on the schedule that's not Michigan, that's not Ohio State, that you can throw out your best atmosphere and sort of expand, not only expand your brand, but this is going to be going out to SEC country. This is going far beyond Ohio, Michigan, whomever else they're going to play in that in that situation. So I think it's a it's a special opportunity for Penn State. It's a special atmosphere. And even though they've seen those ridiculous ones in in LSU at LSU, Florida, et cetera, um, it's, it's just a different notch on the wheel. Yeah, Penn State fans, you can uh, send your regards to uh, Josh Payton at Late Kick Josh on Twitter about the that second. I don't know how they're going to prevent a student whiteout from spilling over to a, just an, an overall whiteout. It seems uh, inevitable to me that that will take place. Well, look, a- look, let me. I, uh, this is your podcast. I don't want to interrupt. But when I when I said that, I, there is no one on the face of this planet that respects tradition more than me and understands that you can't be overdoing this stuff or else it starts to lose its meaning. So when I said that. I tried to give like 15 all caps caveats that the only reason I feel that that would be justified is because of last year. It's it's a once in a lifetime circumstance where we didn't get one last year because we didn't get really much of anything last year in the way of crowd involvement. And so like we enter this year and you have two very obvious candidates, or at least to me, it was very obvious. You got the Auburn game, you got the Michigan game. I I feel like you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. I feel like kind of the judgment call on how the rest of the whatever 105,000 folks on top of the student section choose to handle that will in large degree be dictated by how Michigan handles the rest of their schedule. Because if Michigan were to come in there, right, top 10, top 15, then yeah, it's not like you're calling everyone saying, make sure you don't wear white today. This is not a white out. I don't think that's, <laughs> that's what they yeah, it'll be fun to follow, and, and you know we'll see when we get there if that is a huge game with major implications regarding the postseason. But where we are right now, I wanted to go back to an interesting note I saw. You said it not often that an SEC program like this makes a trip up north. Uh, in the Big Ten for Auburn, it's been very rare. I saw a tweet here from Matt Brown of The Athletic, a former State College resident himself. He says this is Auburn's first Big Ten road trip since 1931 at Wisconsin. He says it's only the third time a ranked SEC team has visited a ranked Big team, Big Ten team. Um, 2011 and, and 1965 are the only other occasions. So this is extremely rare. That that 11 games, Bama at Penn State, I would assume. What is the What's the other game? The other game is 1965 Georgia and Michigan. And you're right, Alabama, Penn State in 2011, which is the last time this team hosted an SEC opponent. It's um, man, it, I I don't know. I, I don't really have words sometimes to express like how that that kind of thing right there makes me feel. Maybe I should just grab some papers over here and fan myself. <laughs> it's um, what I, one of the things I love just about the sport in general is um, it's the same thing that I tried to say about the Iowa Iowa State game last week. There may or may not be any kind of grand postseason implications on a game. You don't know. It's September, but. I I remember growing up, I grew up in Columbus, Georgia. And so I grew up in a family that had some Georgia fans some Bama fans, but I remember they would, you know, they'd have stacks of VHS tapes 
in my dad's like a uh, you know work and study room and it would be like nebraska coming to legion field in 1971 or whatever to play alabama and i remember how how treasured those were and i would watch like the super bowl and then i would think in context why why does a regular season game carry so much more impact and meaning in your life than who played in the super bowl that year and he would explain to me at a very young age like little jp barely able to comprehend this stuff he said regular season is what it's all about like these matchups these regular season matchups i got to go and see this in legion field and now i mean we watched the vhs 30 years later it's fun to know that you may very well be walking into i mean it's a different format now but like a vhs situation a 30 years from now situation and it happens every year across the country but now you get one in your backyard at penn state josh you got the jp poll up this week unusually high on the Nittany Lions. You have them at number five. Uh, you've been higher than them on than most uh, coming into the season after the first couple of weeks. Of course, got that winning against Wisconsin. You had those, I think, back-to-back going into week one. Why are you so high on Penn State? Yeah, so let me very, very clearly preface what that thing is. There is no gut involved in that thing. There's no merit involved in it at all. It's strictly just what our computer model spits out. About a decade ago, I partnered with a data scientist who worked at a uh, Uh, I guess you would call it a tech firm down in Georgia. And so he loves college football too, but he understands how to weight the data and he understands how to build that stuff. I can barely work an Excel spreadsheet, but he understands how to work that stuff. And so over the time we, we built something that has been pretty profitable in the sports betting world, but it can also spit out rankings for us, but that's all it is. It's pure power ratings. And so it's strictly like, how would we stack up point spreads if we ran a sports book tomorrow? And so like Penn State, I think you said I had them five. I don't have it in front of me. It's number five right now with Penn State. I think we started them eight or nine. So it was already higher. Um, but what I've learned to do, because I look at it, I think the same thing other people do. I say, oh, Penn State's a little high there. Wow, I was down at 14 and they've got two of the most impressive wins in the country so far this year. But it's not built to be an AP. It's not built to be a simulation of a playoff ranking per se. It's built to strictly say forward thinking, predictability, what would we think tomorrow? And right now it likes Penn State. A lot of that has to do with talent roster. A lot of it has to do with the perception, I guess, that Penn State plays a very complimentary style of football. And it also, I'm speaking for a machine, so I'm telling you how a machine thinks. But I also think if you look at week one, you look at the Wisconsin game, um, on paper in no universe should Penn State have won that game. But they figured out a way to win the game. And so if you look at comparable data points in the past, when you look at teams that found a way to win and slipped through the crack of a door right before it closed early in the season in a game they weren't supposed to win, subsequently you knock down some dominoes later in the season and they go on to be a very, very good team. We've seen cases where a team goes on to do special things and you look back and you wonder, wow, had we not found a way to win that thing, we had no business winning. I wonder if the rest of these dominoes would have fallen. I don't, that can be anecdotal or it could be very much on the money, but I don't think it should be ignored that they found a way to win one. They're not supposed to, because I don't think anyone watched Penn state in week one and said, yep, that's their maximum capability. You know, thank God we won, but that's their maximum capability. I think it was a C plus B minus effort. And so whatever their a minus effort is down the road, I think it could yield much better results because of that week one result. Yeah. And you, and you said this coming into the season. Sorry, Tyler, but um, that game was so pivotal in, in which direction that could go. We saw that last year with Indiana. Penn State goes out there, loses in, in the last second, obviously. And and they're that, that's a tailspin right there. So that that's kind of what you're getting at with there. By the way, uh, Kirk Herbstreet had some things to say for your your JP poll last night, I heard. Um, so hopefully you guys can patch that up this weekend. 
it's you know he ends up following me everywhere I go every week anyway even though <laughs> but look I, I tried to explain man if I'm an AP voter I got Iowa parked in the top 10 but I'm not an AP voter and you know you look at Bill Connolly's S&P plus I think he's got Iowa ranked lower than me I, I hit up an odds maker who actually has to do this stuff and be right or his children do not eat the following week that you're, you're probably a little bit too high on Iowa it's not discrediting wins or anything like that it's it's not it's just understanding you probably can't float at a plus three average turnover margin the whole year so there it is Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit was the least of his worry he had Hawkeyes fans on his case with that poll and by the way the JP poll if you're wondering uh Alabama Georgia Oklahoma Clemson followed by Penn State, Michigan ahead of Iowa at number 13, and Wisconsin at number 12. These Auburn Tigers, you're, you're, it's pretty much on the money with where they are in the AP poll coming off a 2-0 start. But what do you make of the 2-0 start? A couple 60-point performances against teams that off, don't look so good. I mean, what do we think about Auburn? You've got them at 23 in that poll. They're 22 in the AP. They're under a new coaching staff, and they're heading to a hostile environment. What are, what are the vibes around that program and its status in the SEC? Yeah, vibes is a good word. The first two games they played have been very important, not because we you know hold Akron or who was it, Alabama State in very high regard, but I think a lot of people have already forgotten, even close to the program, much less nationally, there was some bad energy around Auburn as recently as like one week before the season started. They had a bunch of COVID issues, but they also just had some kind of oil and water new staff versus old guard. And I'm not saying that that's been resolved by any stretch. I'm saying winning kind of pours some water over that. And we also know what losing a game will do for that. So I think that it was very, very important for them to just skull drag a couple of inferior opponents, if nothing more than to tamp down some of that negative energy. I'm not sure it means anything going into this game. Now, I know a lot of people have what I would call a little bit of a false sense of security and confidence because they did what probably 50 teams are capable of doing in the country and now they're going to go up there and what the problem could be is I remember the last time Auburn went on the road last time Bo Nix went on the road in an environment even comparable to this it was at Florida it was I believe 2019 and I was down there and remember early on saying to myself I don't think they're going to I don't think he's going to give them a shot to win I have no clue how they're going to win this because they were so affected by the environment the team he but that team also was so infected or affected and ultimately infected by the environment. They had no shot and it was a turnover fest. And so you got to ask yourself, like when they, when Auburn goes in here Saturday night, you can, you can put all the icing on top of something you want to, but when the heat gets turned up and that stuff melts away, the same things underneath that's always been underneath, unless there's been a fundamental alteration how in the world would a fundamental alteration have happened? It's great for them if I'm wrong and it has happened, but I don't know how a fundamental alteration will have happened here. And also, I remember in the spring, one of the things I kept hearing from Auburn in regards to Mike Bobo, their offensive coordinator coming in and working with Bo Nix and Brian Harson's an offensive guy and trying to install their offense was, it wasn't a, the moment we get on the ground, we start moving forward situation. They had to, for lack of a better term, deprogram him a little bit from what Gus Malzahn had installed. And one of, it sounds crazy to say, but one of the things they were most excited about as a staff in the Auburn spring game was Bo Nix was able to make some checks at the line of scrimmage. Now we listen to that and we say, okay, I, I saw 14 high school quarterbacks do that last Friday night. Well, that's right. Malzahn didn't ever have him do that. 
it was a total check with me offense. No quarterback under Gus Malzahn is ever given the freedom to make those calls and checks and change plays at the line of scrimmage. Well, in this offense and in most offenses, you are going to task a quarterback, especially a multi-year starter with doing that. So what I'm telling you is baby steps were the name of the game in spring. If they have made a quantum leap enough to go into this kind of environment and just thrive and move the ball up and down the field, I'll be happy to come on here or the Auburn Undercover podcast next week and say I was wrong. But I find it very, very hard to fathom an, an image or a picture of Bo Nix, you know, with his arms raised in the air after his third touchdown drive in the first half. I just can't see that happening. It's not that they can't win, but if they do, I think it's one of those two or two and a half to one run pass ratio, ride tank Bigsby all night, eerily similar to the Wisconsin game in week one sort of situations. The stats on Bo Nix on the road, not good. Uh, at home, 22 touchdowns, three interceptions, 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions on the road. That's per Brad Powers yesterday. Is, is it is it as simple as Clifford versus Nix? I mean, they're obviously not on the field at the same time, and 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 things get uh, you know muddied up when you talk quarterback versus quarterback, but that's really – that's been the storyline of Penn State's side. That's been the storyline of Auburn's side. What's that comparison like? I actually don't think it's that. I, what I think the key here is, is which one of those running games can force the other quarterback and force the other offensive coordinator to sort of make those uncomfortable calls first. And that probably requires a two score lead, even if it's 10, nothing, uh, because 10, nothing feels pretty big in this kind of game. It's the same way I felt at the Iowa, Iowa state game last week. I had a, a newbie with me and, you know, they were looking at the scoreboard and it was, it was like a 13-point lead for Iowa, and I was trying to explain that they might as well be up five touchdowns right now because that, that kind of scoring just doesn't happen in this sort of game. If you have a situation where Penn State is able to effectively run the ball early on and they get up two scores or vice versa with Auburn, then all of a sudden you start asking Yurisich or you start asking Bobo to make some decisions neither is probably overly comfortable making in this setting that's when it becomes a quarterback situation. But until that status quo changes, I you guys can tell me if, if you think I'm wrong in the Penn State end. On the Auburn end, I'm pretty sure I'm right that this is not one of those we're going to shock the world and go in here, throw the ball all over the place on early downs because we feel comfortable with it. I don't think that's the kind of situation we're looking at. So in a lot of these big games, I say quarterback's going to have to win it for you. It's going to be which quarterback can outdo the other one late. I don't feel that way in this game. Yeah, Josh, it's hard to find a lot of quarterbacks in the country who don't have questions around them. That's that's most teams deal with that. And and here at Auburn and here at Penn State, and then week one with Wisconsin and Graham Mertz, that was such a, an, over like, an overarching issue was, did this quarterback make enough progression with a new play caller and, and a new plan offensively that it's going to show up in September? And it it was a disastrous day for Graham Mertz. We'll, give, we'll certainly give a big major tip of the cap to Penn State's defense, but he was very ineffective. He turned the ball over in the red zone. It was bad. Through two games, no turnovers for Sean Clifford, and through two games, impressive numbers for Bo Nix, but who's he throwing against? It feels like Sean Clifford kind of had this early test going to Wisconsin. It was an ugly first half, battled through in the second half, no turnovers, came home 1-0. This feels like the moment where Auburn fans are going to really start to judge what Bo Nix is in 2021. I think that's absolutely accurate. And the other thing to remember is there was a transfer in the offseason. T.J. Finley came to Auburn by way of LSU, and for about two or three weeks, it was the talk of Lee County, Alabama. And that is, is T.J. Finley going to come in here and actually push this guy? Because Bo Nix has not exactly you know, sunk his teeth into this job. Plus, you know, new coaching staff, maybe they want a fresh start. 
maybe they want their guy. Brian Harson quieted that pretty quickly, but what no one around there knows is how long that leash really is. We have not seen a competitive game. And so I think that's part two of the, if you want to call it this, a false sense of security, but we have never seen Bo Nix be two for 11 for 37 yards and a half of football. We don't know in that kind of scenario how this coaching staff is going to respond. We don't know how married they are really to him. This is yeah. the kind of environment that can potentially kind of press the issue and let you find out. Josh, we're two weeks into the season. The coaching carousel has started to spin, and it's spun in our direction um, in the fact that James Franklin's name has been floated many times for that USC job. Always a job, you know, Clay Helton's been hanging on by a thread there for a while. Always a job that Franklin has been linked to. I think there's some legitimate, uh, you know, uh, capabilities in that job that he looks for um, location facilities, talent base, uh, th things of that nature, the ability to win in a conference that doesn't have that big dog. That's Ohio state. You know, obviously there's some good teams in the PAC 12. Um, but uh, that one, that one got sprung on us a little bit earlier than we thought it would um, here, here in happy Valley. So what do you make of, of the change at USC and what, and what do you think uh, of James Franklin name being floated out there? I, well, I went to Harris County high school down in Harris County, Georgia. So, Watching James Franklin's career arc, I think if that job came open, Franklin's job would be in the mix for the Harris County High School job because his representation is that effective at doing their job. Um, I don't know how seriously at the moment I take his his uh, being mentioned there only because of this. I think it's a little bit we're missing context if we just talk about the USC job and talk about how good it is. It is a good job. Uh, it's a very coveted job. But I was talking about this on our show last night, and I was basically directing the segment to like a 16 or 17 year old kid, uh, a recruit. In other words, you can't even tell those kids about a time when USC ran college football, even though it's just I mean, to us, it's not that long ago. But to them, they've never lived in that world. Now, uh, our dads or our grandpas have lived in multiple generations where there was a stretch where USC ran the sport, but they haven't experienced that. And also what else has happened? This is where Penn State enters the equation. Back then, I would never have told you, for example, well, if the LSU job comes open, then I'll forget about USC. But we're in a situation right now. I had an agent buddy two days ago. Whenever that news broke, I was asking him, what do you think about this? He said, you guys in the media, like you can put out your hot list all you want to. You can put out your coaching candidate boards all you want to. I can tell you confidently, and this is him talking, I can tell you confidently in my world, everyone expects the LSU job to come open. No one worth their salt is going to allow any kind of traction to happen with their candidate until we find out how the market's going to react if that LSU job opens up. Even if you're even if you're Coach X and you're not even interested in Baton Rouge and you want to go to L.A., you wait till the job opens up because we all understand how leverage works. and You don't get those opportunities very often in life. But the reason I'm mentioning LSU is not correlated to James Franklin. What I'm saying is the USC job, instead of being up there with a one or two or three and then that's it. It's kind of in a pool. The room is very crowded right now because of what you get, all the perks of being in the Big Ten or being in the SEC uh, that, that are far away. They're just a gulf between that now and what you get as being associated with the Pac-12. That has got to be in the back of, of a coach's mind. It's got to be in the back of James Franklin's mind. And so even if this is something that he would entertain, I, I think the status quo has changed. I've said that twice, like Nicolas Cage and – um national treasure i've said it twice treasure, yeah. but the status quo has changed now and you can 
you could sell me based on personal preference that the USC job is better than Penn State. But I'll tell you what I can do now, whereas I probably wouldn't have done it 15 years ago, is I could sell you the Penn State jobs better. And back then it was all about the beach and warm weather and blah, blah, blah. You get to all the access to the recruits. I don't think state lines have mattered less ever in our sport in recruiting than they matter right now. And I think what's going to happen, and it has not happened yet, if James Franklin, let's say as recent or as soon as Saturday night, if they put on a show and there is one quarterback out there watching, I'm not talking about even from the high school market. I'm not talking about Drew Aller or anything like that. I'm talking about, let's say, a guy that is a high-level player that's on another roster that whether we know it or not, is thinking about transferring, and he just gets drunk on that image on his screen, and he is drawn to it. It will only take that for, not that they're recruiting poorly now, but for a new level of floodgate to open for Penn State recruiting. And if and when that happens, the Penn State job is comparable to, if not a better job, than USC, because a lot of the other boxes are already checked. The only thing you're not theoretically checking is, I guess, geographical. And the other thing is when people talk about competition, I know normal people, uh, the, the average mindset would look at USC the same way they look at Clemson and they would say, oh, those are better jobs because there's less competition. The, the type A guys, by default, the kind of person you need to take that job anyway, I've just never thought that they look at it the same way. Like competitors want to compete. They don't want to go into a season and say, all right, well, we're going to be favored by four touchdowns except for these two weeks and then otherwise we could sleepwalk through the – I just don't think they feel that way. And if, if someone does feel that way, it's probably not the kind of guy you want leading your program anyway. And so I, I don't buy the James Franklin being at the top of all these lists. I buy that there may be interest from their side. I don't buy that it's any kind of slam dunk that he'd leave for USC. What about the timing of this, Josh? It's not like we're creeping up on bowl season and everybody's moving around and the carousel is in full spin. I mean, we are closer to preseason camp than we are to Penn State's next road Big Ten game. How I mean, how can USC possibly go about this coaching search without disrupting uh, and distracting other programs? It, I know Franklin said he doesn't want it to be a distraction, but um, every single one of his players, I think, was asked about this yesterday, and, and that is what it is. Yeah, well, they don't care. I mean, USC doesn't care is the easy answer there. But the other answer is I remember back in 2016 when this happened to Les Miles, and I was at the game he got fired at. And they hit, it looks like they had won on the last seconds against Auburn. And then they replayed it and they overturned it. It was weird because you saw both sides celebrate a walk-off touchdown, which I don't think I've ever seen before. But because of replay, we saw that. And so the AD was there. Uh, Joe Oliva was there. I walked up the LSU tunnel. I was outside their locker room. And Les Miles' wife was there. Um, a lot of the administration was there. But Joe Oliva was there and no one talked to anyone. They were as close as we are right now, figuratively, but no one talked to anyone. And Les goes back out on the field, and he films this post-game show. He's like a – he looks like a ghost. He's got that faraway glassy look in his eye. His wife was standing on the field with her back to him because she couldn't – she wouldn't look at him. It's just so surreal. I recorded some of it. Probably shouldn't have, but I recorded some of it. But anyway, he gets fired. And I remember a lot of people were – you know, they were reacting to the firing. But my thought the whole time was we're four games into the season – there's nothing you've seen from this man through four games that you didn't already know about him. So what was the impetus for firing him? Well, the impetus was poor leadership and ineffective leadership. And there wasn't one voice that carried the day in Baton Rouge at the time. Consequently, those people are no longer running things in Baton Rouge. I think the same thing about what's happening in L.A. right now. 
you can argue whether or not he should have been fired, but there's nothing you saw in that Stanford game that we haven't already seen. The same problems that existed had already existed, and he was several years in, so there was no grace period he was still under. And so independent of whoever they go after, I wonder aloud whether the people running things there could answer the simple question, what is USC? What is it, what's the makeup? What's the culture? What are the important characteristics you need here that would succeed in this position? I think some of the fans could answer that question a lot quicker than the AD or the administrative types, the bow tie wearing types could. And that's a problem because if you keep, you know, regurgitating the same process out there, obviously you get the same result. And I'll be honest with you, if I were a candidate and to my knowledge, I'm not, but if I were a candidate, I'd look at that. And this is a hidden factor in this coaching search. I'd look and I'd say, I don't like the way the previous regime ended. And I don't think that's on that regime. Like they did what they could do, but look at the way it was handled. Those are the people I'm going to work under. I, I'm not a fan of that. Well, I know a lot of our listeners were already following you, Josh. I think you'll pick up a few more uh, this following this episode. Can you let our listeners know where to find you on a weekly basis? And specifically, what's the, what's the outlook for you this weekend now that you're coming up to campus? Yeah. Uh, so I've got stuff to do on Friday. So we fly up there Friday night. Um, flying into Pittsburgh. Why don't you guys just put an international airport on campus? But I would, I, I, sure, go for it. Yeah, I'd love it. We've yes. got a poster that's working on it. So yeah. <laughs> it's rough because we waited until the last minute to book, which is always wise. So uh, we'll be up there Friday uh, night late, and I'll make my way over there Saturday and um, meet as many people as I possibly can. But I'll tell you what's fun and what's really fun with the way I'm set up for these road trips is. I've got pregame responsibility. I got postgame responsibility. But during, it's it's fun to be able to capture as much sort of behind the scenes and access driven content and footage for fans as possible. And I just load up the social accounts with that stuff. It's at Late Kick Josh. It's it's pretty much everywhere uh, you follow on social. But Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday nights when we do Late Kick Live, it's on the twenty four seven Sports YouTube channel. It's in the podcast feed wherever you get your pods. Late Kick with Josh Pate. Uh, but it's been really fun. And what I'm most proud of is we have not spent a dime marketing it. It's just kind of our audience takes it and takes ownership of it and does the job for us. We got a sign on game day last week. We're, we're trying to make it two weeks in a row to get a sign on game day. So, I mean, I don't want to put pressure on the audience here, but if we don't make it happen, you guys have failed. Get the man his sign out there. Some Someone do it. If you're listening, start drawing it up. And, and Josh does a great job. Not only, you know, we are as – of nature where we, we lean to the Southeastern conference because that's college football. That's what a lot of this is. Josh does a great job cu- covering everyone. You should see his, his takes on Iowa and Iowa state. Um, nobody <laughs> is a bigger Iowa Homer and Iowa state Homer at the same time. Uh, then Josh Pate did a great job last, uh, last week with that. Um, but I do recommend you check it out and just go through the entire show. You will learn so much about college football. You will learn so much about the ins and outs of how things work. And, and Josh, as you've listened to in the last half hour or so, does such a job uh, eloquently pointing that out and using his words to do it. So we thank you for that. Josh, I don't know if you do predictions or anything like that, but how are you feeling about Saturday night from a Penn State perspective? There are too many margins. Nothing's wide. Like there's there's never one of those sentences in this game where I say Penn State and it's not even close in this category. The only category is home field. That's the only place it's not close. That's the only ma- uh, major edge. But I think there are some kind of marginal to moderate fringe advantages that Penn State has in a lot of categories 
And also I can't ignore the whole Bo Nix on the road concept. So what I think it's going to be is a knife fight, but because of those margins, I not only leaned Penn state to win, I actually took them to cover. Uh, it's on the ramen noodle express, man. It's one of my actual bets for this week, albeit at four and a half, but I like Penn state to win. I like Penn state to cover. And if they do, um, we're going to see a scene. We're going to see a scene Saturday. Well, enjoy yourself, Josh. We'll see you in person on Saturday, I hope. But soak it in. Enjoy your experience in Beaver Stadium, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for hopping on the podcast again. I appreciate it, guys. Can't wait to get our uh, can't wait to get a picture of all three of us Saturday. <laughs> all right, talk to you guys soon. All right, well, well, Sean, we have you had the white shirt, Josh didn't. So at least at least it was represented here on the show. Um, I think you'll see it from Josh later in the week. Thanks to him. I mean, just you, you laid it all out there. Just in, in, incredible perspective. And he, I don't know how he keeps his fingers on on so much across the country, but he does. Five-star mailbag time is going to take us into a subject that we'll jump into a bit more on our next episode, which is a huge recruiting weekend uh, approaching for Penn State that's been pieced together by the staff day by day here and really for a matter of weeks and months. But we've been tracking it over on lines247.com. Sean, before we get to the the five-star mailbag, anything standing out so far as, again, it it is a process of this staff putting in work. And it's not always easy to figure out who's definitely coming and who's maybe coming and who might not be able to make the trip. Well, it's, it's always a ridiculous list. Let's say that uh, you know, I was counting in my head about how many guys that we have with Penn State offers making the trip. And you threw it to me way too, way too quickly. I was <laughs> too far down the list. Uh, a lot of those guys, um, big prospects for Penn State, as always, but not just from Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey, this area. Guys coming in from California, guys coming in from from all over the place, Louisiana and Florida and all over the place just to check out this game. And that's really what it's taken on. Um, kind of a life of its own as, as this whiteout has grown is, is just its destination, not only for fans, but for recruits as well. Um, try to keep it light on the official visitor side. Um, right now, four of those guys that we have lined up, um, Jordan Allen, the Penn State commit, wanted to take his official visit in the summer um, and then pushed it back and wanted to take it for the whiteout. He's going to use that this weekend. If you remember, typically what has happened in the past is those guys, those commits will save it for the um, you know December weekend before they sign to all get together. That just didn't work out this year because of the June, uh, because of visits opening up in June, uh, really give them a chance to, to get on, get their official visits in June and get out of the way. So Jordan Allen didn't get to come. He ended up committing to Penn State anyway, wanted to take his official visit for the whiteout. It's going to do that. A big one this week confirmed by Brian Doan of 24-7 Sports, Jay Sean Barham. Uh, this is a guy squarely in 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 the uh, in the crosshairs for Penn State. Really, really good linebacker. Was at Demath as now at St. Francis, and this is a guy that's been on the radar since he was a freshman. Um, you know, I still have Penn State and Maryland uh, way up there on his list. South Carolina is involved. Florida is involved as well. There's a lot of um, talk about him potentially staying home, staying close to mom, which is of paramount importance in this recruitment right now. But I would not rule out Florida because that's a you know an interesting atmosphere that he could check out. And all of a sudden, uh, all that talk we talk about him staying home could just go right out the window for the great visit there but to get him on campus with his family huge this weekend penn state you can see the starting to press a little bit more there figuring out what's happening in that room um you've got the linebacker commits that you've got right now but abdul carter is kind of you know in that edge category which could mean defensive end could mean outside linebacker um it really depends on how he grows and how he goes from this so gives you a little bit more flexibility to possibly take another linebacker 
and Jayshon Barham, I think is the top five linebacker in the country right now. So that's uh, certainly a good start there. Uh, Omari Evans from Texas. We've talked about him a bunch, that four, three kid four, three is so tough to ignore. Um, and Larry Turner Gooden from California, two way athlete, probably a defensive back for Penn state uh, committed to Arizona state right now. He's had Penn state on his radar for a long, long time. Um, but he wants to get out and see these other visits or excuse me, see these other schools, take official visits and things like that. Uh, so 22, those official visitors, uh, it, there's not a lot of them, but there's not a lot of space in this class. So that, that makes a difference there. Uh, the 23 list, I don't know even where to start. Um, Jason Moore is a five-star kid from DeMatha. Uh, Jaden Rashada, the quarterback from, from California, going to take his second visit to Penn State in three months. He's the top five quarterback by 24-7 sports. Then you've got some, I mean, you've got some of the usual suspects here. Tamir Robinson is really good. Luke Montgomery's been on campus for a while. There's a list on Lions 24-7. I don't <laughs> want to go through the entire thing because I'm going to run out of spit here to talk. Um, but it's kind of ridiculous. And then you've got three of the top eight players in the 2024 class. So um, probably got a little bit deeper into that than I wanted to on the Wednesday show because we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Um, but there's just so much happening and so many guys coming in. And don't just added a really big one uh, this morning as we uh, right before we went on air. Um, there's just so much happening right now. And I think that'll lead us into the, uh, the five-star mailbag, which will give me a chance to get a sip of coffee here and get my, uh, get my win back. Yeah. Take, take a moment. And, and by the way, this list will continue to grow. Brian Doan doing a great job reporting out on it, our entire 24 seven network. And of course here, Sean Fitz has you covered with the list on a weekly basis, but stay tuned on lines, 247com all the way up to Saturday, because guys are trying to make decisions. Guys have games Friday night, Saturday, but it's a Saturday night matchup. So even if a guy plays on noon on a Saturday, he's potentially within range of getting to campus. But Penn State's got to figure out who they got to turn away as well over the course of this week. Like James Franklin said, not every prospect's getting a ticket to this one. Not every high school coach is getting a ticket to this one. It just ain't happening. Um, how are you feeling, Sean? You good? Sorry, I had to get a cough out of there, so I had to mute myself. I'm feeling feeling good. We can do this. We can do right, this let, now. Let's go to the mailbag. And it, like you said, it takes us right back to this topic. With the whiteout weekend being a huge recruiting event, are there any 2023 recruits on your radar to commit afterward? Could Penn State get Mega Barnwell back on board? Maybe Antonio Tripp, who's the lineman out of McDonough. Uh, Sean, just a couple names mentioned there. Many, many 2023 prospects on campus. And are we on commitment watch here coming out of the whiteout weekend? There, there's a bunch of guys that you could point to and you could say, I could see definitely him ending up in Penn State's class. Uh, will it happen now? Always up for debate. Uh, this is an atmosphere that can push somebody over the edge. Um, you can definitely look to a couple of guys. Uh, Lamont Payne's been up a bunch, a uh, defensive back from Western PA. Usually would be a guy from Pennsylvania. If you look back at the last couple of years, it's been those regional guys um, or those in-state guys that really jump on board. Phil Pisciotti, uh, the linebacker from Penridge, is a guy that's going to be up a couple times this fall. And, you know, you look at uh, that pro profile and it logically fits you know him being a guy that could could join this class um you mentioned a couple of interesting ones here um antonio tripp and mega barnwell um this is a uh, this is a situation where you're so early in the season it's tough to figure out which guys are going to get the green light which guys are not some of these guys you've had in camp some of these guys you want to see the first couple of games of their junior season for example antonio tripp didn't have a season last year he didn't even play in the spring so you're going to want to see what he's bringing to the table uh, you know, on film in the first couple of games. So there might be guys that are ready to jump on board. There's probably a bunch of guys that are, you know, have that little asterisk beside their name that say offered that Penn State might not be ready to take. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. I think I've got seven or eight offensive linemen with offers from Penn State that are visiting this weekend. It's a big, big offensive line weekend, including Alex Birchmeyer, who's uh, already committed to Penn State. But Does that include no Mega Barnwell? 
that is an interesting question because Mega Barnwell is 270 pounds. Uh, Mega Barnwell is still thinks he's a tight end. Um, it's an interesting dynamic because I think Mega Barnwell is going to pick a place that tells him he's a tight end. And is that Penn State? I don't know. I don't. I don't get the feeling, especially when you take a look at the the, the recent offers to uh, Joey Schlaffer, um, Andrew Rappel, yeah, who was on campus. These guys that fit uh, more of the wide receiver, tight end type uh, profile. So that that's going to be very interesting to watch um, where he fits in, where he eventually goes, because this is a big, big kid. We mentioned that when he committed. Uh, we don't know what position he's going to end up, but he wants to have the ball in his hand. He wants to play tight end. Be really difficult at six five and a half two seventy or whatever to uh, to figure that out and you know it might come as a you know a detriment to his recruitment or his development trying to stay as a tight end I, I I wasn't trying to make these connections I had a coach reach out after I um, commented on um, Brian O'Neill the the former Pitt offensive tackle was a Silesian tight end that went to Pitt and and transformed into an offensive tackle. And now I think he just made $60 million in extension in numbers or something like that. So if you're a tight end, you're above 240 pounds, 245 pounds. Yeah. Maybe you look at offensive tackle. That's a pretty lucrative uh, potential uh, down the road. Barnwell out of Virginia committed to Penn state before his sophomore season decommitted last winter. But uh, even since, even since the money decommitted, there was a feeling that the door was open on both ways. Tyler Bowen leaving changes the, the communication there a little bit, but Ty Howell, as we've said with, with other tight end recruits, he was already on campus. He was already part of that process. So familiarity was in place for that transition. And by, by the way, Sean, the whiteout, we, we paid so much attention to it. its impact on the game to its impact on recruiting. It truly is a tangible impact on recruiting. I mean, you talk to these, some of these players this week, and they're asked to look back at the experience. And if they were uncommitted and undecided when they were at at that game, like you said, it really seemed to tip the scales toward Penn State. If they were committed, it just reconfirmed why they were so excited to play at Penn State. And I think that's particularly notable for this huge group of commits that we saw a few of them get to the Ball State game, but they're going to be sitting together. They're going to be on the field together. They're going to be hearing a lot of love from the fans together. And it's a really great opportunity to, to just for them to feel like they're part of this Penn State community because recent visits to campus, it, it's been in the summer uh, or if some of those guys who got into Beaver Stadium, maybe uh, early in the spring, it was an empty, an empty situation. Anthony Ivey, Caden Saunders, Denai Dennis Sutton, Makai Flowers, Ken Talley, Nicholas Singleton, Abdul Carter and Malik McNeil were all at the 29, 2019 whiteout. That's wow. kind of a ridiculous hit rate. And, you know, it's credit Penn State for identifying these guys early, but it obviously left uh, quite an impression. That's more than a third of your class um, that was on on uh, board. And, you know, Carter didn't have an offer at that time. Malik McNeil was not on the radar at that time. Some of these guys, you know, have, have had offers since they were freshmen. Um, but, um, no, it's a, it's one of those things that leaves a lasting impression. Um, I, I posted the uh, the 2019 recaps and the photos and things like that. Penn State did not do a good job uh, in finishing with a lot of the 2021 recruits. Um, and, and that's a theme that they had throughout the process. But of the guys that were there, you know, Nolan Rucci and Wyatt Millam and Tristan Lee were all three there. We talked about them as potential, potentially building a class around and none of them ended up Penn State. Um, you did get Theo Johnson, Landon Tangwall, Rodney McGraw, Zaki Wheatley. Um, but it, it's really it speaks to how important that is to not only get them on campus, but also continue those relationships. And if you look at this 2023 list that we have on the site at Lions 24-7, it's, it, it's pretty remarkable how that has expanded and how you can see familiar names popping up that, that were on campus in June, that were on campus in July, and you just got to keep chipping away at that. 
And there will be unfamiliar names who are in the building on Saturday. We won't talk about them this weekend. They're freshmen, they're sophomores. A couple years down the line, it'll come up in conversation, and they'll say, a turning point for me was when I got to that Beaver Stadium game for the whiteout when I was 15 years old. It's just the way it works, and it's going to happen. It's become cyclical for Penn State. It's a great thing. And if they go out and win this game in the white atmosphere, uh, it's going to vault them even further in what they can do in recruiting, like Josh Pate said, uh, a national, national showcase here. Um, Sean, I'm excited to talk to Josh Saturday, but we got another episode before we even get to Saturday because we got episode three coming Thursday, and that means it's prediction time from us. We'll give you our final thoughts on the game. And as we're recording, I'm actually lining up something that I think our listeners are going to like a lot, and our viewers, of course, on YouTube, where you can follow us now at Lions247 on that channel. Um, hopefully you've been watching, been listening throughout the season. We'll continue to do four episodes each week. Sean, I think that's it for, for us. We got to get ready to go to practice. We got a few more player calls coming up here. Follow our coverage at lines247.com. Big thanks to Josh Pate, as always. Big thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn. He's Sean. I'm Tyler. We'll be back here soon on the Lions 24 7 podcast. Okay, picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.